brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that shares your values. More information is available at CharityMobile.com. For this week's Sunday, listen to On the Way to Mass or On the Way Home from Mass <laughs> recording I have for you, St. Vincent of Laren's uh, work on from the Commonatory, the next section of that. I previously gave you a first few chapters, and now we I give you another two or three here. This is him giving examples uh, that continue from the previous portion. Here he talks about the crisis of Arius and the Donatists and other heretics in the early church and how people resisted their errors. This is important to understand. He, The idea of resisting heresy even from bishops goes all the way back to the earliest problems in the church to the earliest centuries. So when people tell you your bishop is always right, just listen to them, that's not what history shows. The principal difference between then and now is that we have popes and others like them who are pushing these errors as well. That is sort of the main difference. But even then, there have been there have been popes accused of heresy themselves. Anyway, on to the the examples of history of this resistance from St. Vincent of Laren's. Chapter 4 from the Commonatory, the evil resulting from the bringing in of novel doctrine shown in the instances of the Donatists and the Arians, St. Vincent of Laren's. But that we may make what we say more intelligible, we must illustrate it by individual examples, and enlarge upon it somewhat more fully, lest by aiming at too great brevity important matters be hurried over and lost sight of. In the time of Donatus, from whom his followers were called Donatists, when great numbers in Africa were rushing headlong into their own mad error, unmindful of their name, their religion, their profession, were preferring the sacrilegious temerity of one man before the Church of Christ. Then they alone throughout Africa were safe within the sacred precincts of the Catholic faith, who, detesting their profane schism, continued in communion with the universal Church, leaving to posterity an illustrious example how and how well in the future the soundness of the whole body should be preferred before the madness of one, or most, of a few. So also when the Arian poison had twisted not an insignificant portion of the church, but almost the whole world, so that a sort of blindness had fallen upon almost all of the bishops of the Latin tongue, circumvented partly by force, partly by fraud, and was preventing them from seeing what was most expedient to be done in the midst of so much confusion. Then whoever was a true lover and worshipper of Christ, preferring the ancient belief to the novel misbelief, escaped the pestilent infection. By the peril of which time was abundantly shown, how great a calamity the introduction of a novel doctrine causes, for then truly not only interests of small account, but others of the gravest importance were subverted. For not only affinities, relationships, friendships, families, but moreover cities, peoples, provinces, nations, at last the whole Roman Empire, were shaken to their foundation and ruin. For when this same profane Arian novelty, like a Bellona or a Fury, had first taken captive the emperor, and had then subjected all the principal persons of the palace to new laws, from that time it never ceased to involve 
everything in confusion, disturbing all things, public and private, sacred and profane, paying no regard to what was good and true, but as though holding a position of authority, smiting whomsoever it pleased. Then wives were violated, widows ravished, virgins profaned, monasteries demolished, clergymen ejected, the inferior clergy scourged, priests driven into exile, jails, prisons, mines, filled with saints, of whom the greater part, forbidden to enter into cities, thrust forth from their homes to wander in deserts and caves, among rocks and the haunts of wild beasts, exposed to nakedness, hunger, thirst, were worn out and consumed. Of all of which was there any other cause than that, while human superstitions are being brought in to supplant heavenly doctrine, while well-established antiquity is being subverted by wicked novelty, while the institutions of former ages are being set at naught, while the decrees of our fathers are being rescinded, while the determinations of our ancestors are being torn in pieces, the lust of profane and novel curiosity refuses to restrict itself within the most chaste limits of hallowed and uncorrupt antiquity. Chapter 5. The example set us by the martyrs whom no force could hinder from defending the faith of their predecessors. But it may be we invent these charges out of hatred to novelty and zeal for antiquity. Whoever is disposed to listen to such an insinuation, let him at least believe the blessed Ambrose, who, deploring the acerbity of the time, says in the second book of his work addressing to the Emperor Gratian, Enough now, O God Almighty, have we expiated with our own ruin, with our own blood, the slaughter of confessors, the banishment of priests, and the wickedness of such extreme impiety. It is clear beyond question that they who have violated the faith cannot remain in safety. And again in the third book of the same work, Let us observe the precepts of our predecessors, and not transgress with rude rashness the landmarks which we have inherited from them. The sealed book of prophecy, no elders, no powers, no angels, no archangels, dared to open. To Christ alone was reserved the prerogative of explaining it. Who of us may dare to unseal the sacerdotal book sealed by confessors, and consecrated already by the martyrdom of numbers, which they who had been compelled by force to unseal afterwards resealed, condemning the fraud which had been practiced upon them? While they who had no not ventured to temper with it proved themselves confessors and martyrs, how can we deny the faith of those who, whose victory we proclaim? We proclaim it truly, O venerable Ambrose, we proclaim it, and applaud and admire. For who is there so demented who, though not able to overtake, does not at least earnestly desire to follow those whom no force could deter from defending the faith of their ancestors? No threats, no blandishments. Not life, not death, not the palace, not the imperial guards, not the emperor, not the empire itself, not men, not demons. Whom I say as a recompense for the steadfastness in adhering to religious antiquity, the Lord counted worthy of so great a reward, that by their instrumentality he restored churches which had been destroyed, quickened with new life, peoples who were spiritually dead, replaced on the heads of priests the crowns which had been torn from them, washed out those abominable, I will not say letters, but blotches, of novel and piety, the fountain of believing tears, which God opened in the hearts of the bishops. Lastly, when almost the whole world was overwhelmed by a ruthless tempest, of unlooked-for heresy, recalled it from novel misbelief to the ancient faith, from the madness of novelty to the soundness of antiquity, from the blindness of novelty to pristine light.
but in this divine virtue, as we may call it, exhibited by these confessors, we must note especially that the defense which they then undertook in appealing to the ancient church was the defense, not of a part, but of the whole body. For it was not right that men of such eminence should uphold with so huge an effort the vague and conflicting notions of one or two men, or should exert themselves in the defense of some ill-advised combination of some petty province. But adhering to the decrees and definitions of the universal priesthood of the Holy Church, the heirs of apostolic and Catholic truth, they chose rather to deliver up themselves than to betray the faith of universality and antiquity, for which cause they were deemed worthy of so great glory as not only to be counted confessors, but rightly and deservedly so to be counted foremost among confessors. The example of Pope Stephen in resisting the iteration of baptism. Great then is the example of these same blessed men, an example plainly divine and worthy to be called to mind, and meditated upon continually by every true Catholic, who, like the seven-branched candlestick, shining with the sevenfold light of the Holy Spirit, showed to posterity how, thenceforward, the audaciousness of profane novelty, and all the several rantings of error, might be crushed by the authority of hallowed antiquity. Nor is there anything new in this, for it has always been the case in the Church, that the more a man is under the influence of religion, so much more the prompt is he to oppose innovations. Examples there are without number, but to be brief we will take one, and that, in preference to others, from the apostolic see, so that it may be clearer than day to everyone with how great energy, with how great zeal, with how great earnestness the blessed successors of the blessed apostles have constantly defended the integrity of the religion which they have once received. Once upon a time, then, Agrippinus, a bishop of Carthage, of venerable memory, held the doctrine, and he was the first who held it, that baptism ought to be repeated, contrary to the divine canon, contrary to the rule of the universal church, contrary to the customs and institutions of our ancestors. This innovation drew after it such an amount of evil that it not only gave an example of sacrilege to heretics of all sorts, but proved an occasion of error to certain Catholics even. When then all men protested against the novelty and the priesthood everywhere, each, as his zeal prompted him, opposed it. Pope Stephen of blessed memory, prelate of the apostolic see, in conjunction indeed with his colleagues, but yet himself the foremost, withstood it, thinking it right. I doubt not, that is, he exceeded all others in the authority of his place, so he should also in the devotion of his faith. In fine, in an epistle sent at the time to Africa, he laid down this rule, let there be no innovation, nothing but what has been handed down. For that holy and prudent man well knew that true piety admits no other rule than that whatsoever things have been faithfully received from our fathers, the same are to be faithfully consigned to our children, and that it is our duty not to lead religion whither we would, but rather to follow religion whither it leads, and that it is the part of Christian modesty and gravity not to hand down our own beliefs or observances to those who come after us, but to preserve and keep what we have received from those who went before us. What then was the issue of the whole matter? What but the usual and customary one? Antiquity was retained, novelty was rejected. But it may be the cause of innovation at that time lacked patronage. On the contrary, it had in its favor such powerful talents, such copious eloquence, such a number of partisans, so much resemblance to truth, such weighty support in scripture, only interpreted in a novel and perverse sense, 
that it seems to me that that whole conspiracy could not possibly have been defeated unless the sole cause of this extraordinary stir, the very novelty of what was so undertaken, so defended, so belauded, had proved wanting to it. In the end, what, res what result under God had that same African council or decree? None whatever. The whole affair as though a dream, a fable, a thing of no possible count, was annulled, cancelled, and trodden underfoot. And, O oh, marvelous revolution, the authors of this same doctrine are judged Catholics, the followers heretics, the teachers are absolved, the disciples condemned, the writers of the books will be children of the kingdom, the defenders of them will have their portion in hell. For who is so demented as to doubt that the blessed light among all holy bishops and martyrs, Cyprian, together with the rest of his colleagues, will reign with Christ? Or who, on the other hand, so sacrilegious as to deny that the Donatists and those other pests who boast the authority of that council for their iteration of baptism will be consigned to eternal fire with the devil. And those are the colorful words of St. Vincent of Larence. And remember, Francis tried to use his writings to justify changing the Mass and to justify what the council did at Vatican II, to change the liturgy, to change much of the teachings of the church in relation to how the church is supposed to operate with the rest of the world. Francis tried that with that. <laughs> I actually don't think he read it. I think somebody just handed him some lines to say. He said, oh, St. Vincent of Laren said this. Yeah, then he just repeated it. That's my suspicion, because there is no way you can read the combinatory and think, and think that it endorses Francis's, you know, finishing of the revolution in the church. But I might be wrong about that. Let me know what you think about this in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. As does sharing these messages on social media. That helps a lot as well. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.